On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking to the leader of the Ontario Liberal Party about what should happen to the trustees from the Hamilton School Board whose names came up in the report about racism on the board. Simply doing nothing, he would say, is not enough. What does Stephen Del Duca say is the answer? Stick around and find out. Also, we talked to Don Robertson about the Super Bowl, about injuries in sports based on one in particular, and a few other things. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Some months ago, back right around the end of last school year, a student trustee with the Hamilton Public School Board So just so you know, the public school board has elected trustees, and then they usually have two student trustees who are involved in the meetings. They sit around the trustee table. They have a voice around the table. They are uh, essentially a full trustee. Anyway, uh, one of the student trustees said that she experienced racism and discrimination during her tenure. And an investigation was ordered. And last week, a report was filed on this, done by some lawyers in Toronto. And some of the stuff in this report was damning about racist comments that were found to have been made. And the board has now said that it will be implementing some recommendations from this and will have diversity training for its trustees and some other things. Question is, is that enough? Is that sufficient for what was found? I want to bring in Stephen Del Duca. He is the leader of the Liberal Party of Ontario. We love having him on when he can come here. Uh, sir, thank you for doing this today. My pleasure, Scott. Thanks so much for having me on. What uh, I don't believe that you do believe that that is sufficient just to do what they say they're going to be doing, unless uh, I've misread your opinion. Um, what should happen? So, first of all, I have to say to the young woman who did come forward, the former student trustee, Ms. Meddy, who came forward to um, to explain how she had been treated, what she had experienced. I think there there needs to be a lot of um, a lot of support. And I, I'd like to commend her. I said this as soon as the report landed for showing the courage to come forward for what for what had to be something pretty difficult for her to do as a young person on such an important topic. And I don't think there, there's been a time in recent, <clears throat> recent memory <clears throat> where issues relating to racism, discrimination, bigotry have been more important for us to really take a look at. And I say that recognizing there's tons of history on this. Anyway, full credit to her for coming forward and, and making the, the complaint. I just I feel that people in positions of trust, people in positions of leadership, particularly in our school boards and dealing with our public education system, there's a standard that I think we expect of individuals in those positions. I don't think the standard is too high for them to meet. I think we expect no bigotry, no hatefulness, no exhibiting of racism or discrimination, and really focusing on on producing the, the very best possible outcomes for our public system. And the trustees in question failed and failed badly. And I think while it's important that the school board is taking some test steps, I really believe that the school board trustees in question should resign. There has, to my knowledge, unless I've missed something in the last few hours, there has been no movement towards that end. So if they don't resign, then what? Well, to my knowledge, there there is no current statutory power that enables the provincial government, for example, to step in, whether we're talking about a city councillor and a municipality or a town councillor, or we're talking about a school trustee. But this is not the first case in the last couple of years of various school boards in the greater Toronto and Hamilton area, it's happened in Peel, it's happened in my home region of York region, now Hamilton-Wentworth, 
where we see some really troubling systemic challenges around racism. And look, I'm a really big believer, Scott, that we will not be at our best as a province unless we are tapping into all the talent we have. And when people in positions of leadership, especially within our school system, don't recognize all of the options for opportunity and talent that exist because they have racist attitudes or they, 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 they participate in behavior that has been deemed discriminatory or racist, I think they're inhibiting the talent that we need to really see blossom in Ontario. So I think the province should take a serious look at whether legislation relating to trustees and city or town councillors needs to be updated. Because I'm really tired of reading about this sort of stuff, whether it's in Hamilton, my home region, or Peel, or elsewhere. Enough is enough. Okay, so uh, the legislation then, if it was going to be updated, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth at all here. So what would you be suggesting that the updated would be? That there could be a removal from the board situation or something along those lines or something different that I'm not thinking of? Yeah, so I don't know exactly what the details would look like in putting together legislation like this. I think it's a real shame that we are all collectively, including, um, you know, people living in Hamilton, Wentworth in that region. We're sitting here talking about whether or not these individual trustees should voluntarily resign. And even if there was an outcry and they chose not to resign, we're basically throwing our hands up to say, well, there's really not much else we can do. There's no mechanism to, to remove them from office uh, under the circumstances. And so, look, I think that um, while that's not anybody's first choice necessarily, the, my first choice would be that they would step up, do the right thing, acknowledge what they've done wrong and resign their positions. I think we, going forward, need to take a look at all the options. And if that means amending legislation in order to provide for mechanisms of accountability, then, then I think we should look at that. The details of that we can, we can discuss, um, but the general concept is we have to be held responsible for what we say and how we behave, in particular when you have the public's trust because you're in a position of leadership. And when you fail to hold that trust, you have to hold yourself accountable. And if you won't, the system needs to do it for you. These are people who are elected by the municipal voters. They are not nominated. So can you, even if we were going to talk about putting a mechanism in to have them removed, can you do that because they are already, they are elected officials. Is there any way to remove any kind of elected official? Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, these kinds of things can be legislated. It would require, I think, a a healthy discussion. I've talked about how it could potentially be brought to bear against trustees. There is also the possibility, and we've seen this in different municipalities where local councillors or others get into a bit of a hot hot water, and there are only a handful of mechanisms where you can remove a councillor from office. But just to to put a, a point on that one, like in the city of Toronto, it's a council issue, not a trustee or school board issue. But there was a city of Toronto councillor who was removed just last year because of spending, I'll say, irregularities or he broke the rules around campaign spending. So there are examples of behaviour that could trigger the removal from office. The larger point about this, though, Scott, is you know, put yourself in the shoes of a young person who's in the school board or a family, uh, and they're looking at this and they're thinking, it's 2021. With all that we've gone through, all that we've seen, and the kind of country and province that we're trying to build here – where we support tolerance and diversity and we believe in respecting one another's differences and and believe that's supposed to be a strength of Canada and a strength of Ontario's. You've got people in a position of leadership in our school system. I mean, to me, that makes it even worse in our school system who harbor these views. And the fact that there's no real solid accountability or repercussion, the, the fact that they are still entitled to be involved in the discussion 
and have an opinion and vote on what kind of remedy should be brought to bear, for example, without declaring conflicts, all of this just smells. It's just not appropriate. And so there needs to be a serious look at this taken, not just locally within Hamilton Wentworth, but by the Ministry of Education and the government of Ontario. I'm not going to disagree with you that there are some things in this report that are very, very troubling, unquestionably. Um, but I'm wondering, I mean, your idea has been brought forward before in different forms. If you, if you go back to the late 90s, and I, you, this is probably not a party that you're aligning yourself with, but the Reform Party under Preston Manning had actually put something in that had called for a recall mechanism for politicians who were misbehaving or not performing. Should this not exist in some math method for, if we're going to say it's for trustees, which I think a lot of people might agree with you, should this same mechanism not be in place for all politicians who would do something yeah. that would require them to be pulled away? Listen, we can absolutely have the broader discussion about how we build more accountability across the entire political system. It's an important conversation for us to have. What we're talking about here, though, Scott, is blatant, racist, bigoted, and hateful comments made by four school trustees who were entrusted by the parents and the families and the students and the educators in Hamilton and Wentworth to do a job to uphold the very best of Ontario's and Canadians' values. And they failed, and they failed shockingly, and they failed miserably. And so I think, I think in all good conscience, and this is what I said last week, and I'll keep saying it, they should all do the honorable and right thing and resign their positions. I think looking, it's an important conversation to talk about how we can build an additional accountability, but I really don't want us to miss the opportunity or miss the chance to, to drill down into what went wrong here. And it's not good enough to put a simple Band-Aid on it in this moment and say, we're going to introduce some new classes and some new instruction, and we're going to pat them on the back and hope they'll learn. They're adults. They're all experienced. They should have known better. It's something we shouldn't be tolerating, and I believe that they should resign. And if they're not going to resign, then we should look at what kind of mechanisms we can bring to bear to build in the kind of accountability that's required. Is that something that if you become premier, is that something that you will be doing to put mechanisms in or to try and create some kind of legislation to this end? I think what we're seeing is that this kind of behavior is taking place in too many of our school boards. And I can't think of a place where it's more, or sorry, where it's, where it's possible for it to be more incompatible with the society we're trying to build. This is our, these are the women and men making decisions about what's taking place in our kids' schools. Again, I talked about Peel region. I talked about York region. The province, both under our government and the current government, had to step into both of those school boards to deal with allegations, found well-founded allegations of racism and discrimination. Now we see it in Hamilton-Wentworth. I mean, come on, this is crazy at this point in time, in this, in this year, in this age that we're still having these discussions. And so I, yes, do believe that some kind of review of how we deal with our school boards in the province of Ontario needs to be taken into account. I hope the current government does it. If they won't, and I get the chance to govern this province, I will, because I've had enough. Let me throw, we only have time for one. I wish we had a lot more time. I always do. But um, <laughs> let me throw one more thing at you that, that you know, to, to your point, on its on its face, it sounds like it is a worthy target, and and I think a lot of people would agree with that. The challenge becomes, 
any legislation, any idea you put in here, there has to be a line. There has to be some measure of, okay, where is the thing that is offensive and where is the thing that we may not like, but it's not quite worthy of being taken. How, how do you determine or who becomes the arbiter or how do you make it so that we know what that line is? Because you know what, in a lot of these different ones, we end up with a lot of people, well, that's not quite the same as this and this. It, it becomes very difficult. For sure it does, and that would also have to be an important part of the conversation. But I think, I look, I have a lot of faith in the residents of Hamilton-Wentworth and the community that exists there. Similarly, I do in Peel and in York and, and elsewhere across this province. I have a ton of faith in the people of Ontario. I think we're at a stage now where we can have those kinds of mature conversations and arrive in a place where there's consensus about the how. But what's most important to me here is the why. And the why is because it's no longer acceptable for people in positions of leadership to align themselves with racism and bigotry and hatefulness and discrimination. That's the why, because we're actually trying to build something here that's better than that. And we are better than that here in the province of Ontario. So I'm open to the discussion about the how. I'd love to take advice from lots of people on the how, but I don't want us to lose sight of the why. And the why is that in this case, young Miss Metty, student trustee who had the courage to step up and do the right thing. And now the system needs to protect her and others who've come forward or will come forward and make sure that we're getting this right. Stephen Del Duca, leader of the Liberal Party of Ontario. Thanks as always for the time. Thank you, Scott. You take care. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Talking about vaccinations and the ongoing assurances that we're receiving that we're all going to have vaccinations done by the end of September. I say it is, I have a better chance growing an Afro by tomorrow morning. And right now there is nothing on top than this happening. To me, this is a complete fallacy and stop feeding us these high hopes that have no basis in reality. It's not going to happen. We have barely inoculated anyone. We're something like 38th in the world now. What do you think though? Am I, am I way out to lunch or do you, I mean, are you buying maybe you, and you're entitled to believe it. Look, you, you, you can have your own reasons and believe that it will happen. And that's totally okay. Tyler has been waiting very patiently. Tyler, how are you this evening? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Uh, you get, you believing this or are you thinking this is a load? How many people get the flu every year? I want your opinion. There are tens of thousands who get the flu every year. How many people get COVID? Uh, tens of thousands. You stay at home. Well, you do what you're supposed to do. Like, uh, like you wash your hands. You do what you have to do. Like, call it. A okay, but Tyler, the, the Tyler, I, I and, and I, okay, I know where you're going. But the question is, do you believe that we are going to all get vaccinations if we want them by the end of September? Oh, as far as the topic, God no. Yeah. Okay. No. Like I, I. Have have you had a flu shot before? Yes, I have. Not okay. every year, but I, I've had it before. Yeah, I I haven't, and I haven't noticed any difference. I've never Tyler, had the flu. Tyler, so. listen, great. I th- I, listen, I thank you for the call. We got full lines. I got I got to run, but thank you for the call. I appreciate. it. We'd love to hear from you again. Brian is up next. Brian, how are you tonight? I'm all right, Scott. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Yes or no on the we're all going to be vaccinated by September. Uh, I'm, I'm with you 100. percent I don't know how I don't know how a guy can stand in front of a microphone and 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 make that commitment when he has no control 
over the production. He has no control over the shipments. And he won't disclose any of this magnificent portfolio of contracts that he has. So the guy... You say commitment, though. off on telling people and making people happy. He's Mr. Sunshine, and he's just blowing smoke up, you know where. Brian, you say commitment, though, and that's an interesting word because there is a commitment generally has a, there are consequences to a commitment. If you get married and you want to break your commitment, there is something, what's the, what's the consequence if we don't all get vaccinated by September? Nothing. Well, that's, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, He has not made a commitment. He's, he's just blowing smoke. You know, hey, the guy, he gets off on making people smile, I guess. But uh, I think people have long since looked through all the smoke and uh, are tired of the guy even getting in front of a microphone and making these statements because Brian, he has I, absolutely no control. Thank you for the call, Brian. I really appreciate it. Thanks for calling tonight. Let's go to Eddie, who is waiting patiently. Eddie, how are you tonight? Hello, hello Scott. I just wanted to thank you for... Scaring, scaring people and uh, doing what you do. I don't think it's very nice for you to be doing that. No? You think that we're going to be vaccinated by September? Oh, Eddie's gone. Eddie does not appreciate. So I guess I'll put Eddie down as a yes, he thinks we're going to be vaccinated. Okay. Dave. Dave, how are you this evening? Scott, how are you tonight? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you? It's a bunch of horse hockey. There's no way he can pull it off by September. And why not? I mean, well, I, I know why I think. Why do you think? I think that they were talking about 10,000 doses a day. Uh, like I say, I got a buddy of mine did the math. That works out about 2024 before all Canadians get it. Uh, maybe, well, maybe, yeah. maybe if he worked it out that, uh, you know, instead of just relying on one or two suppliers, we've got another one that says 60% probability of, of success, like Johnson & Johnson's um, vi- or vaccine. You could load that down onto the younger people. The Johnson Johnson said that if you have their vaccine, you may catch COVID, but it doesn't make it uh, hit hard. Like, you know, there's no hospitalizations and nobody dies from it. It, it sort of reduces its impact. So we could look at that as, as another source of, of vaccine and give it to the younger people who seem to, and then concentrate on the older people with the Pfizer and, and the others, uh, whatever it's called, Moderna, um, and, you know, give it to the people who are more inapt to be uh, really hit hard by this thing and maybe spread it out a little more. He might pull off, but he's not going to do this by September. You're hundred percent right. And, and here's the issue for me, Dave, is look, we're, we're I, as far as I'm concerned, we're past the point of worrying about them coming in because they're not coming right now. We're falling way behind. So let's forget that part for a sec. Just stop feeding us the stuff that says we're going to do this. Be honest, be honest. Old, we're way behind. It, it's not our man, fault. Scott? Don't do something down my back and tell me it's raining. Yeah, I know. I know. Dave, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. we got to get to Robert here. Uh, Robert, how are you this evening? Hi. Yes or no on the we're going to be vaccinated by September? Absolutely not. Why not? Because uh, I know your brain is $39 million, but isn't it closer to $80 million when you have to do it twice? Well, that exactly right. And, and so to do the two injections per person by then we're having to do about 4 million a day as of right now, or 4 million and a month, pardon me, not, not a day, 4 million a month. How many medical staff do we have in on the whole of Ontario? Do we have close to hundred thousand? Oh, I Is would it? say so, but they have other things to do as well. Other than well, injections. That's what I'm saying. If you took every medical staff person you had a hundred thousand, right. And you put them, could you get, 
that many done in a month, you would never be able to get it done. It's, it's, uh, and the, the fact that our, our politician chooses to uh, pull a Trump-like statement, because he's lying, right? This is what Trump would do. This is exactly the same thing what Trump does. We got all these things. We got all the vaccines coming. We got all this coming. It's all here. It's all here. Don't worry. It's all here. It's all here. But then when someone finds, really looks at the facts, there's nothing there. So uh, are we holding him? Can we hold him to the same accountability? Let me say I mean, that, Robert, we got to go. Robert, we got to run. But let me just say one thing. I know what you're saying about Trump. The states is at 12.3% injected and inoculated. We're around 1%. I'll take Trump when it comes to this right now over where we are because we're so far behind. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. As I say, a man who um, the first word most people use when describing him, delightful. Don Robertson, the future and past and future again, soon to be Dundas Citizen of the Year. How are you tonight? I think I'm all right, delightful. Delightful isn't generally a term I associate myself with, so thank you. I don't know. Why not? Delightful works. I mean, I'll have to ask your wife if she's ever thought of that when when describing you. I don't know what word she would come up with first. (laughs) You you don't need to. You don't need to. uh, You don't think it'll be delightful? You don't think delightful would be the first one to spill off her tongue? No, I think straightforward and sarcastic is often used, and I'm okay with that. Well, I think if you look in the thesaurus, delightful is one of those, is another word for sarcastic. Oh, then I'm fine. It's perfect. Yeah. What's another word for thesaurus? What's that? Think about it. I was saying, what's another word for thesaurus? It was, you know, think about it. Um, Did you, uh, did you watch the Super Bowl yesterday? I did because... It's important. I always watch the Super Bowl and the Grey Cup, but I slept through the Grey Cup this year, but I did watch it, and I watched it with great interest. And uh, so I did, yes. So the, the big discussion, of course, today, there's a bunch of different discussions, but I think the big one is, is it really possible that one player, and we're talking about Tom Brady, of course, is it really possible that one player can make that much of a difference. I mean, do you? How much of this do you credit to Tampa Bay? Didn't make the playoffs last year. They didn't make it since two thousand three. I think they were a bit of a mess last year. Now they brought in other guys, but how much of this can you, in a positive way, lay at the feet of Tom Brady? And how much of this is is that overstated? I think it's overstated. Um, I think that Tom Brady is a great quarterback. Tom Brady did not single-handedly will a team or carry a team on his back to win a Super Bowl yesterday. And that's just not my opinion. That's an absolute fact. What Tom Brady did is he inspired the entire group to believe they could win. And I think his former greatness gave them such optimism and a will to win and a belief they could win. That is the single largest asset Tom Brady brought. Tom Brady didn't win the Super Bowl yesterday. The defense of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers only allowed nine points against. And when I watched that McCombs 
and some of the plays and the throws he made while being molested and abused while falling were unbelievable. But the defense of Tampa Bay um, didn't let him run wild. And I think Tampa Bay's defense, I mean, they didn't give it. I don't know. You're probably a better stats guy than me. When was the last time Kansas City didn't score a touchdown in a game with this kid as quarterback? It was the 1964. Well, I, no, I don't know. I I have no idea. No, it's it, I no I I don't I have no idea. But it's been a long, long time. But you know, be, I agree with you. I agree with you about Brady. That it's the inspiration Brady bought brought to that group. I think Scott and they figured with him there they could win. And uh, I think you know when the water goes up, all the boats float higher. And I think that was his biggest asset. And he did a good job. I mean. They're, there's no doubt about it. He wasn't a hack yesterday, but he didn't carry the team through all the playoffs and win them a Super Bowl by himself. It wasn't, uh, but he, boy, they, they don't do it without him. I'll tell you that. I, I mean, I agree with you about that. He did not single-handedly win them that Super Bowl, but I wonder if it goes back even beyond inspiration. Although I, I, I believe there's some of that too. The minute he is signed to that team and walks into the dressing room, and you've got a guy who is generally considered the greatest of all time. It's is, is there more than even just the belief that you can win? Is there also something there that I'd better be at my absolute best? I better do that extra bit of stuff that I didn't do last year. I better work a little bit harder. I better prepare a little bit more because this guy's suddenly here. Well, I think there's a few things to it. Um, first of all, all of those things you just said, absolutely. And then the other things you look at with guys that are playing on the team, like we've got Brady, and everybody says he's the best that ever played the game. He's 43 years old. You know, we can't – this isn't going to carry on. Well, it shouldn't carry on, but it may. <clears throat> but we may only have this year and next year, when he's 44 years old, to do it. It's not like Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time and he's 27 years old, right? Like, they have to do this now. And the Kansas City guys on the other side are going, you know what, we have the best up-and-coming quarterback, maybe the best quarterback in the NFL right now, and we're going to have lots of shots at this. Tampa Bay went, this might be a one-and-done. So we better throw everything but the kitchen sink at this game because we might not get another crack at it. And I can tell you that's true because I had some young guys in 1986 and we were the best team in Canada and we didn't win the Allen cup. And I'll tell you next, the next year they went, we don't get very many opportunities. And the young guys kind of carried us through because they recognized the fact that you don't get to the national championship every year. They kind of took it for granted the first year, really paid a price the second year. And we won it in 87. So I think that the guys look at Brady and say, we don't have five years to do this. This might be our only crack. Let's do it now. And I think they all played wonderfully. It's probably not a good word for football guys. No. Well, I, I, if in fact the folk, the guys on ten, on uh, Kansas City thought what you said they may have thought, that we've got a young team and we're up and coming and we're going to get lots of chances, I was just going to 
echo what you said. I, I think that they're in for a very big surprise because, you know, listening to Tony Romo yesterday, who I really like Tony Romo as a commentator, except when he's calling Kansas City games because he is so over the top about Patrick Mahomes to the point that it loses any meaning because it's so ridiculous. And yesterday near the end of the game, when he's saying, well, Patrick Mahomes now, you know, he's going to have to get to eight super, win eight Super Bowls. And, and it's like, come on, come on. The, in the entire history of football, one guy has done what Tom Brady has done. And now you make it sound like it's super easy. Anyway, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'll say it right here. I bet you that Patrick Mahomes doesn't make it back to three more Super Bowls in his career. And probably not that many. Because it is so hard to do it, as you point yeah. out. It's if you take it for granted that we're young and we're talented, I mean, how many teams in every sport could point to that and then they never ended up winning? And now you've got salary cap issues and money, all the rest. It's really hard. When you got injury issues. I mean injuries, yeah. I mean I mean, KC could have got there and had three key guys. I mean, forget about Cola, that was a crazy year, right? But you could have you could lose two or three key guys? Well, they did. They lost a, a tackle, and they reconfigured their entire front line, which they may as well have had you reconfigure because what they did sure as hell didn't work. I mean, there were plays, I swear. It was like when I played high school football and quarterback at Highland. By the time I dropped back to pass, the other team was waiting for me to get there. That's, that's how bad our front line was. And it almost seemed that way yesterday. Like the Tampa Bay guys were getting to McCombs' spot before he was. Like it was, it was a hard day for him. I'll tell you something else, and, you, and let me ask you a question. Although it's your show, there are free. You, you watch more. You, you what's that? You feel you, free. Ask away. Uh, yeah, no, uh, you you would watch more NFL than I would, and I did hear one of the commentators say like there were some calls that went. Tampa Bay's way that I went, okay, I don't watch in-depth enough NFL to know is that a questionable call or not. But uh, there was a comment by one of the commentators, the color guy uh, that was doing color for the game, that said, you know, Kansas City have been getting away with this all the way through the playoffs, and today it's being called. So... If, in fact, that's the case, and Buffalo Bill fans would say, if they'd have called the game the same way against us, we'd have been able to lose to Tom Brady. It's not exactly what they said. But you get what I'm saying? Not exactly. Absolutely. And 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 the same thing thing was, was said many, many times, and here's the thing. Before the games, before every game, the officials meet with the coaches. And so, look, credit to Bruce Arians, the head coach of uh, Tampa or whomever met with the officials, because I really believe that what happened is somebody in that meeting with the officials said as a point of attention, they are holding all the time. They are holding all the time. Look for the holding, please. And whether the refs intended to or it was just placed in their head because it has been going on for weeks and weeks, all probably all through the season and Linda last year and little things, little tiny things that help you. But once, if you do it well, and Don, you've worked refs, you've been a ref and you've worked the refs as well as anybody. If you do it right, if you do it well, 
and somehow you plant that seed in their head. So they are looking for that. It, to me, I think that's what happened. I think that they planted that seed and the refs were aware that that call was out there and we're going to look for it. And they called it. And, you know, and does that mean we should, we're critical? Maybe we should be critical of the coaches of other teams Kansas City played before that they didn't do it. Or maybe the refs didn't bite or maybe the coaches didn't do it as well. But you're right. They were getting called on stuff yesterday. They had not been called on all year. Which which really creates a problem if you're Kansas City. And I'll tell you why. As a former official. Because their argument is, we've been doing this all year. Yeah, well, you know what? You know, you've been getting away with away with it all year. We're not we're not gonna put up with it. And they were likely told in the meeting. You know, I'll tell you, uh, as a referee, and when I was doing senior A as a 21-year-old referee, and the greatest calls in my mind that I ever made, and there was uh, either a lot of them or I just thought there were a lot of them, <clears throat> but plays in front of the net, when the puck would come out and the guy's getting ready to shoot it and the guy grabs his arm and he can't get the shot away, nobody in the building saw him grab his arm so he couldn't shoot it. A few guys did, but I would always call that because that's a goal scoring opportunity that was, and it wasn't blatant. It wasn't outstanding, but it actually really affected the play. And if it's a small hook, I, I can only relate the hockey, but yesterday, if it was a small hold, you'd go, well, that was no big deal. Yeah. But what it did is it eliminated the chance. It sure was only a tug. But it eliminated, eliminated the receiver's chance to make the play or it eliminated the defensive guy for, from getting around and that half second matters. I have a lot of time for referees that have the cojones to make that call. And I'll tell you, I, I, I did pay attention to the young lady that was refereeing and good for her. I mean, they didn't, uh, the NFL didn't put a female referee whose name escapes me. Sadly, I'm sorry, you'll know it. Um, in there because she can't do the job because it's politically correct. Good for her. I think all the officials did a good job. And Kansas City were yipping a little bit. McCombs' mother was probably the biggest critic on Twitter. But they did a good job, and they, they didn't determine the outcome of the game. Kansas City determined the outcome of the game because they didn't stop doing it. They should have went, yeah, sir. we're not getting away with this. That's we got to stop it. And they didn't. They just bitched. Sarah Thomas is the name of the female official. And I'll say this. Uh, I am, uh, the NFL would never admit this. And a lot of other people would never admit this, but you know, the NFL was fingers crossed, toes crossed. She's a very good official, but you're praying that there is no, I mean, we've had so many calls in the NFL in recent years or non-calls that have been massive situations oh, that sure. cause all kinds I of controversy. Yeah. They God, are fingers crossed. The outcome of the game. We've, we've just made a big deal and we're opening the door to women to come in because they've shown they can do it. She's shown she is not in there because she's a woman. She's a good official. Please don't let in the first time, don't let her be at the center of a controversy because it complicates things. Now she did a terrific job and none of that stuff happened. But you know, and it's got nothing to do with her ability. 
It's the same if you're going to highlight and put the spotlight on anyone as being the first, please let them just be just fine. And we know they can do the job. Just make it today, not the day that something goes horribly wrong. And, and she was great. She was fine. There was no issues. Yep. And that happens with, uh, cause I, I know how fish training works and I, I, I think I understand how you determine who gets to do games because I was given tremendous opportunities as a 21 and 22 year old to referee far above what the normal height was. And I know people that put me in those positions are going, we know we can do it. We pray he doesn't screw it up. And that would have, that would have happened with, probably some other officials in the game because they're very political, right? There'll be all kinds of, I'll tell you, there was uh, 20 NFL officials sitting at home watching the game and saying, I deserve to be there and I'm not, which speaks to two things. Either they're jealous or maybe they shouldn't be there or it speaks to the quality. But the referee in chief and, and the supervisors of the officials go out on a limb and say, I'm telling you, we got to put that Radley kid in because he's good enough and he's going to be there for 20 years and there's no reason for him to wait. And every time you do that with a young official, it really matters. And it just gets um, a bigger microscope and a bigger, you know, a bigger eye when it's the first female to do the job. I agree. I didn't well, think and, that was and any I- fault there. Don, when you mentioned the 20 officials, I, I, I have no doubt the NFL desperately wanted her to be in this game, but I also don't think that the NFL would have put her in this position if she hadn't shown through the course of the year that she was capable of being in this game. You're not, you, you may want to make this moment happen, but in a game like this, you don't want to put the person in a position where they're going to fail. And so if she wasn't ready, they weren't going to do this. But I, I they no. desperately wanted her or some other woman to be able to do this game to to make that happen. And that's fine. That's, you know, because it's it's not about just putting the person there just for a patronizing thing. As long as you have reached that level where we're confident you can do the job, we're going to give you the chance to do the job and make that moment happen. And, and that's, that's where she is. I, this would have been a very different story if you had someone who had never officiated before. This was their first year. They had no experience. They'd had a mediocre year. They'd had a bunch of calls they'd blown and they league still said, we're going to put you into that game. That's not the case. She had had a good year, her gradings and everything. She'd been good. And so it was fine to put her there because she's earned it. And it just happens that yeah. now they get to have what they want. She gets what she wants. Everything's good. Just don't here's screw it up will, on this game. Here's what I will tell you. I think probably could have happened. I don't know if it did or not, but the old baseball saying the tie goes to the runner. If, if, uh, Radley Thomas and Robertson are all rated the same, she may have got the opportunity by default, not because she's fine. Capable. And that's right. So there might be two guys going, well, I could have done the same job. Yeah, well, you probably could have, but you, you, you weren't given the opportunity. I think it was great. I, I think it was wonderful that she was given the opportunity. Yeah, no, no problem with that. And, and just before we go to break, because we're, uh, we're running late on this segment, uh, what did you think of the halftime show, or did you watch it? I did. And I was really proud that a Canadian got to perform at the halftime show. And that's as political as I'm going to get. I knew it was the weekend because it was Sunday. 
That's all I knew about the weekend until the halftime show. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm what, not, I'm not a huge fan of the music, but the show was great. I, I, like what he did, the the production and everything, it was entertaining. It was, it was, uh, again, I, you know, the music was well, whatever. It's not something. It's not what I listen I, to most of the time, but it was fine. It was good. I, I thought, I thought it was dumb because I think a pure entertainer can walk out on the stage and entertain you. I don't know. It's not his fault, but it was pretty complicated. I mean, yeah. I could follow it, but I, you know, I. I'd have been fine if Willie Nelson had walked out in the middle of the stage and played four or five songs. But he could do that. I don't think that the or weekend else. is in that position yet where he can hold an audience because he doesn't have that many songs that people know. Yeah. Uh, this, well, and, Elton, and by the way, he, Elton John, there's a list of guys that could have walked out in the middle of the stage yeah. and it'd have been great. They didn't story need all the is, pomp and pageantry. No, the story is that he spent 7 million bucks of his own money on that show as an investment, surely, into making people know about him and you put on a good show. I, look, I, I, you and I are backwards on this one because I, I, I thought the show was good and the music was, nah, it was okay. Um, there was nothing wrong with it. It was just, you know, it was okay. And I'll say this, and we got to go to break. He is the second, I mean, he would be well behind Drake in the fame department around the world for music still among Canadians. Uh, his yeah. music, in my mind, way better than Drake's. But anyway, that's just, um, you know, for what it is. Anyway, let me take a break. Back to music. Yep. My music was fine. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was fine. The music was okay. And the show was good. And it was good to have a Canadian. That said, let's not let them say, well, we gave you a Canadian for the Super Bowl. So you get to have an American for the Grey Cup. The Grey Cup halftime show should still only be for Canadian. And Don, before the game yesterday, and I think I had recorded it a few days ago. I don't even know when it recorded, but I watched a show. And it was an hour-long thing called Project 11. And probably nobody listening would have seen this, maybe a few. But it was a documentary about Alex Smith. Alex Smith is the quarterback of the Washington Redskins. And he's the guy that a couple years ago had his leg broken, just horribly broken in the game. It was a spiral twist fracture, and it was just a mess. And they went in and did surgery on it and put in some titanium plates and screws and all the rest. And a couple days later, somehow he got a bacterial infection within the leg and flesh-eating disease, necrotizing fasciitis, I think it's called. And they started having to do surgery after surgery and chopping away chunks of his flesh to get rid of the bad flesh. And then ultimately, once they finally caught on with it, they had to take muscles from other parts of his body to replace it back in there because they were looking at maybe amputating his leg. Maybe he was going to die. Anyway, it's a long, gross story. The reason I'm asking you this is You've been around sports a long time. I've seen a lot of sports. We've seen guys get hurt, badly hurt at times, and yet they come back. They want to come back and play again. Does it ever Does it ever cross your mind? Do you ever wonder whether it's worth it, whether it's all worth it for these guys who are going through something so horrendous to try and come all the way back? Yeah, but, but it's their passion to a certain extent, right? I mean... When you get to the NFL level and the, or the National Hockey League, Major League Baseball, NBA, when you get to that level, it money factors into it because it can maybe make the difference between being able to retire easily at 35 versus working the rest of your life driving a truck or um, you know doing um, a factory job or being. Uh, you know, whatever, a financial consultant. So 
the money comes into it. <clears throat> I think, generally speaking, it's the passion for the game and their competitiveness that makes them want to come back. Sometimes when you look at guys, you're going like, holy crap, like quit this. You know, the level that um, that that I work with the athletes now is, is senior A, and our guys are playing for the love of the game and the passion of the game only. But if you look at the NHL guys, they're going, if I can squeak another couple of years out at even $3 million a year, it's life-altering. But the only thing that I've ever, and I still do, no matter what, if it's a head injury, I will not let our athletes compete. I don't care what they tell me. I mean, if it's going to bring a tear to my eye, I don't care. Because if they can't get a letter from the doctor, you're not doing it. You're, and they're young guys. But you're going to have kids, and I'm not going to come and see you in 10 years, and you don't know if I'm... Elvis Presley or Willie Nelson. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you got to understand what you're giving up here and this is not worth it. And it's not worth it at the pro level either, but the, the dynamics are far different. If, uh, if they look at you and are trying to figure out which singer and they don't choose later Elvis as the best guest, then there really is something wrong. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> No, it, it is. It is. Yeah, no, you're right. It's, it's Elvis. In the no, I, I, jump, jumpsuit. Yeah, that's a that was a good look. That'd be me now. The money, I, I for sure understand. I mean, if 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 you can come back and you can make that kind of dough, it's really hard not to. But I mean, there's Olympic athletes who do this. There are amateur athletes who do this, where there's not a lot of money. There's there's guys at the end of their career where they're not making a lot of dough anymore and they know there's not a chance to make a lot of dough and i you know i mean i i've talked to a couple of guys who played for you on the mccoys tom searle for one now i think he quit after he finally took a slap shot in the mouth right near the end of his career um and i think yeah, that was actually he, it he got, for him the, the puck hit him flat on the side of the jaw and cracked his jaw he never had a to my knowledge because tom played a lot of hockey for me a broken bone playing hockey and it was an awful way to end it and that was the end of it yeah. I'm just, I'm just now, amazed. I mean, go ahead. Although, I mean, seniors different, the guys are playing, you know, and they're kind of going, I got a family, I got a job, but I get that. I totally get it. I get it as well as anybody gets it. But if you're talking about amateur athletes for the Olympics and this is a year to go, boy, and you know what? You might, it, this might be your only shot ever. What are they going to give up? I mean, they've likely, if, if you're a gymnast or you're a high jumper or whatever your um, sport is, and you've been working at that since you were eight years old, and this is likely your only shot because you're 28 and at 32, you're too old. Holy crap. I mean, they're going to give whatever they've got to fulfill that dream. And you and I, quite frankly, can't relate to that because it makes no, it makes sense to us, but we can't relate to it. It's unfair. So they might do anything they could to make sure they have an opportunity to go. And it's certainly not for you and I to judge to say, you know, Radley made it back and he, he rehabilitated and everything else. We're going to send him. Sadly, he's now our third best guy because he's not 100%. 
make that call for somebody. Watching this documentary and again, it was, it wasn't all that long, but they included in this thing, there were warnings beforehand and they included photos of his leg and it was, it was sobering. It was really sobering. And uh, he has 50 or 60 or $70 million in the bank. And, you know, he's set to, it was sobering that you would have someone who would want so desperately to come back that not only would he be willing to come back and willing to put in all the work and the rehab was just endless, but the fact that you are coming back to a sport where there is a realistic possibility, uh, I mean, uh, it's untenable, it's gross to even think about it, but there is a realistic possibility you could end up with another serious injury or re-injure that leg again, which is almost too much. I mean, you may or may not remember a baseball player years ago named Dave Dravecki, who was a pitcher for the San Francisco Giants, and he came back from cancer, and he was pitching in Montreal, and he threw a ball off the mound, and his arm exploded from because it had been weakened by yeah. chemo and radiation and everything. But he had come all the way back, and that same arm, it's now been... Uh, amputated i mean it was it was destroyed and i look at this and i go i maybe that's what separates elite athletes from the rest of us i look and i go how can you possibly step back on a field knowing after everything you've just gone through there is a possibility you could end up starting over again with that same thing it's it's almost too much to contemplate is it is it not so <laughs> i get i'm kind of political to me. Is it not almost the same but different for uh, everybody that ran in 1988 and 100 meters with Ben Johnson saying, you know what, these steroids may kill me in five years, but I want to win that race and we're all doing it. You know what I mean? It's a sacrifice you make. It may affect your health down the road, I don't care. I'm going balls out and I'm doing this no matter what. Is it not kind of the same? I think, I think there is something to be said there. I think if you, but you're right. We know what the risks of performance enhancing stuff is that you, when you start injecting horse tranquilizers into yourself or whatever you're putting in there, we know, I mean, look at the, there are some unbelievable stories online. You can find magazine articles and stuff of the women from the mid seventies, East German women's Olympic teams who had no choice. They were, they were turned into chemistry experiments against their will and it has ruined their health. I mean, it has ruined them. And most of them. in, in In fairness, they'd only been women for about two years. Well, but they, they were, they, they weren't anymore. I mean, with the stuff that was put into them, they changed their, no, it, I mean, it changed their physiology. It changed their chemistry. It changed. And these were, you can say they were cheating. I don't even hold most of them up as cheaters. It was the system that was imposing itself on them. They were yeah, told well, you will do this. And, but so you look at them and you say, here's the, here's what can happen to you when you take this stuff. And, you know, maybe some of the guys and women in the, in the subsequent years have intentionally not looked at them because they don't want to know what could happen. But even if they do, Don, I think you're right. I think most athletes who decide to take stuff have to be aware there is a possibility and have decided, you know what, I would rather play and win 
and run the risk of dying really young or having some sort of horrible situation than not winning and not playing. And so maybe you're right. Maybe it's the exact same mindset that factors into, I got to come back from having my leg almost amputated to, I got to shoot stuff into my butt to make myself better. Maybe it's the same. Here's what I'm going to suggest to you, that any of the athletes that couldn't play yesterday in the Super Bowl, and I don't know the list of them, there would have been some guys injured that couldn't play for Tampa Bay or Kansas City. If some, for some miraculous reason, someone could have said to them, we will grant you the ability to play in this game, but it's going to shorten your life by 10 years, I would suggest to you that it would have been a tough decision to not play in the game for those young athletes. I've talked to a number of football players over the years doing some stories on concussions and things. And, you know, I mean, they went through that whole lawsuit thing in the NFL and the CFL and, you know, NHL. And I asked the question, I said, if you, cause when, when you're sitting down at the desk with the general manager and he has slid a contract in front of you to play professional football, even if there was a piece of paper on top of that, that says you, when you are 50 years old are going to be drooling and barely able to walk or at least there's a 95% chance that's the case, would you still have signed that contract? And every single one I've talked to said, I'd st- of course I'd still sign that contract. Yeah. It just doesn't seem real down the road. Well, it, it, it doesn't because I, I, I'm older than you are substantially. But they don't take that stuff into consideration. I have said for several years, had I known I was going to live this long, I'd have taken better care of myself. And that is the answer, and that's the answer to life. Yeah, no, it's if you if anyone sees it, it's um, if you come across it, it's on one of those document, on one of those sports shows, like E sixty or something. It was called Project Eleven. If you want to be, and now on the flip side, as much as I almost grimaced knowing that he's come back and he's playing football again, and good for him, it's it's it is also wildly inspiring that somebody would do that. I mean, that, that's the flip side of the story that you, that a guy goes through what he went through and made it back to the NFL is, is remarkable. I mean, it really is remarkable. And so there's an inspiring part of it too. And, and I guess, Don, that's the, that's the flip side of this, that we look at some of these people and we wonder, what are you doing? But it's inspiring to see that they could put that much work in and that much rehab and come back. It, it, it's inspirational at times, isn't it, how they do things. I'm not doing it. I, I, tw- I if I sprain my ankle this week, my athletic career is over. I'm just I'm just announcing ahead of time. Well, I I, I got some bad news. If you sprain your ankle and end your athletic career, I don't think anybody gives a damn. No, now that may be cruel, but you know I me. Mean? I call it the way it is. I mean, same as me. My, I don't think anybody cares. I think it was over my, a long time ago. There are no books being written about my athletic career. Let's put it that way. I am, uh, I am the very definition of mediocre at a lot of things, but not great at anything. So let's, now you, um, you did have, you did have that one play when you dressed up to face Rick five at a Dundas real McCoy, uh, practice when you kicked the skate out and deflected the puck into the glass, it was a kick save and a beauty. And, yep, you don't and I should have skated off the ice. I'll just make that statement and you should leave it at that. 
and I should have skated off the ice as soon as that happened. Yeah, I should have left the ice immediately because anything that happened afterwards was never going to be as good. Don Robertson, thank you so much for doing this today. Really appreciate you uh, every Monday coming on, but really appreciate it today. Thanks for your thoughts. Scott, it was a fun day. It was a great weekend. It was a super weekend, actually. And it was? Uh, the Leafs are on a roll. We're going to talk about them sometime. I thought well, the Leafs would be in first place at the end of the regular season. I made no comment about how they do in the playoffs. But they're on a bit of a roll right now, so carry on. Thanks, Scott. I'm so shocked that the Leafs are in first place having a lifetime of not that, that I've, I've not brought it up really yet because I keep waiting for the floor to fall out, but you know, they're a week or two and we may believe this. Anyway, Don, thank you. Appreciate it. All right, Scott. Thank you. Bye-bye. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.